Look, here's a table covered with red cloth. On it is a cage the size of a small fish aquarium. In that cage is a white rabbit with a pink nose and pink rimmed ears. On its back, clearly marked in blue ink, is the numeral 8. The most interesting thing here isn't even the carrot munching rabbit in the cage, but the number on its back. Not a 6, not a 4, not 19.5, it's an 8. This is what we're looking at, and we're seeing it. I didn't tell you, you didn't ask me, I never opened my mouth, and you never opened yours. We're not even in the same year together, let alone the same room, except we are together. We are close. We are having a meeting of the minds. We've engaged in an act of telepathy. No mythy mountain shit, real telepathy. That's from Stephen King, his um, memoir uh, called On Writing, a memoir of the craft. And he, uh, I read that book, um, I don't know, maybe five years ago now. And it, it kind of blew my mind a little bit because it made me realize that we all have this ability to build a time machine. I also really liked um, Back to the Future, my favorite movie of all time. Um, and yeah, we have this ability to build time machines through our writing, as he talks about, but all through ne also now through all the forms of media that we can create so easily, including these audio recordings in the form of podcasts or video recordings that go up on YouTube. This is all sort of a one-way time machine we can build that it's sort of like it, we build it now and our kids or people in the future, other people in the future, get to, to use the time machine to see what our life was like back uh, right now. And I, and it, it's just a really fascinating concept for me to think that having this ability to go back through uh, through and see the world through someone else's eyes um, one of the one of the books I've read most recently was Stephen King's book on um, it is a time travel book looking at the JFK assassination and uh, someone goes back to around the time when JFK was assassinated and tries to figure out how to stop it and it's the same it's it's uh y you see the world differently if you can go back in time and see what it was really like and learn from maybe the mistakes that people made before that and right now it what's happening right now with covid-19 it's so it just deep in my gut i feel like this is not the last um, pandemic we're going to see it feels like there are going to be more um, in the years in the next decades and having a record of how what we did right and what we did wrong on this one is going to uh, is could change the way we approach the next one and so it's uh, this is my this is really my attempt to try to capture what's happening in real time now so that people can look back on it 
so I we can so I can look back on it, but more I'm I'm sort of imagining it'll be future generations to look back on it and be able to do better if they need to. The other thing I wanted to talk about today um, is science. So science is, uh, and specifically how science works in Canada, at least how I understand it. I need to go back and do some more research on this, but this is my current understanding. Because it's, it's you know, we're now relying on science to pull us out of this, right? We, we everyone's talking about the need to bend the curve and keep keep social distancing or keep physical distancing probably until in some form or other our society is not going to go back to the way it was until we can find a vaccine for this or somehow magically this thing COVID-19 goes away or we learn that the vast majority of people have already been infected, which which is actually not that unlikely necessarily. But I think we're um, I think we're still all in the we're we're all hoping that there will be a vaccine that um, can be produced to uh, to to create herd immunity quickly in the next year or two these things happen slowly you know i think some people are hoping this will happen in the next few months but it's most likely going to be the next year or two before we get a vaccine that's going to work um and and so we're relying now on investments that were made in the science in science and in um in the people and the infrastructure and the systems that train scientists that are going to be doing this work now all of a sudden we're desperately um, reliant on them and we we need them right now and so it's a really important time to look back and and to look at science in canada and say what's happening with it and could it be could the way that science is funded be designed better or, or should we be making it, should we be changing the way it works? Um, because I think it is rather precarious, and, and perhaps it's the most precarious right now in light of, um, with, with what's happening right now in the stock market. Because the main, the main f uh, source of funding for scientists, so, so there's, there's, two source, there's two areas of funding that need to be that that we need for science to occur we need scientists themselves to be paid and we need funding to come from uh, and we need funding for those scientists to do science and train master students and phd students and postdocs and to run labs and to pay for all the equipment and the people that need to be in the labs so there's actually two, the way it's done in Canada, those two things are very separate buckets. Scientists cannot be paid from government grants. There are a select few, very, I think, and I don't know the exact number w or what proportion of scientists are paid through government funding, but there are some. There In Canada, there's a Canada Research Chairs Program, which funds directly, puts funding 
towards puts in funding towards paying scientists um and there's a few career awards so really so you know early science early career awards i think they're normally called so people these are people who are early in their career usually less than five years in who are doing really 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 well there's funding that they're given uh, to support their salary uh, as well as sometimes money to help them run some of their research. So those, with the, with the exception of those few awards, for the most part, Canada pays for its scientists through philanthropy. So people have to donate money to charitable organizations, and those charitable organizations have to pay the salaries of the scientists. So that is a problem now all of a sudden um, in in Canada or ev I mean I don't know what the situation is in other parts of the world but th it's a problem here because all of a sudden with the stock markets dropping we now have um, the foundations or charitable organizations around Canada are getting very worried that donors are going to stop donating money at a time when we need um, at a time when our scientific institutions need the money the most perhaps some might argue but because of the stock market going down there's a very good chance that um, we're we're about to see uh, a real um, some real challenges in in the science industry and, and funding for scientists as well as research we know that uh, the Canadian Institute for Health Research, CIHR, um, decided to cancel one of its competitions, just this, the, the what they call the spring competition. So there's two big competitions that happen every year, the spring competition and the fall competition, where researchers submit proposals for funding. And they decided, and it's one of the main sources of, inf of funding for health researchers for... Um, um, for the second bucket, so other than funding for scientists' salaries, there it's the the people who run the actual experiments to fund those experiments themselves. Um, and I should make a I, I should make one other um, clarification, which is that scientists. When I use the word scientist, that's the position in. Uh, in an organization, so if you work for a university, if you're an assistant professor, a professor, you are a, I'm, that's a researcher who's a who can hold research funding, who is allowed to submit proposals to the government to things like CIHR to get funding to run experiments. Um, I am a scientist at University Health Network. I get to send in proposals to the government to hold research funding. If you're a uh, if you're a researcher at some other level, so there are lots of different levels at which you can be a researcher. There are positions called scientific associates. Um, if you're a postdoctoral fellow, if you're a PhD student, a master's student, you can't apply for research grants in the same way. You can apply for funding to support your own project. So if you want to do a postdoc, or if you want to do a master's or a PhD. You can essentially apply for fellowships or scholarships that will fund you to do those 
degrees. Um, but it's mostly to pay your stipend. You still likely will need to work with, you will, you do have to work with a PI, a, a, a primary investigator, a principal investigator, excuse me, principal investigator who is a scientist. The principal investigator is the person who holds the research funding for a project and is, is allowed to hold that funding and applies and needs to be able to apply for anything can start um, that's something that in most of the world now is is a requirement so I think that's it I think that's the bottom line is that science funding is precarious and um, and it seems like it's going to get more precarious in the next little while and so we might see a real decimation of of uh, yeah people that are trying to do this type of work. Now, there have been a whole bunch of new grants that were um, announced to try to deal with COVID. So specifically COVID-19 related research, there's been a whole bunch of grants that have been released, but I don't think, I think putting out money in the short term does solve one of our problems, but it doesn't build capacity and maintain that capacity in our system there's no question in my mind that many people who would have been great scientists have decided to turn away from science because of the frustrations they have in a whole bunch of areas but off but the main one being getting consistently getting funding getting research funding is a huge 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 challenge and um and the likelihood of submitting a grant and getting it funded has been dropping in Canada over the past I'll say decade or two and uh, and it's make and it makes it very difficult for new scientists like myself I'm, I'll consider myself a new scientist I've been doing this for just over five years now but to um, but to keep up a research program is uh, can be very very challenging it used to be that one in something like 30%, one in three grants that were submitted would get funded. The percentages now are more like 7% to 10% in that range. So one in less than one in 10 get funded now. And so there's a lot of really good projects out there that are not getting funded. And there's only so many opportunities where as a, as a scientist, as a principal investigator you have to demonstrate that you are productive which means that you can get you can get funding you can get students to work for you you can pay these students and staff through that funding and you can generate uh, things like scientific papers so you you ha you generate findings and present those findings at conferences and so you have to be able every year I have to report on how many papers I've written and how many conferences I've presented to and how many students I have that have graduated and and um, and without consistent funding you can't do m many of those things or at least you can't do them to the level that you could otherwise do them if you're spending all your time writing grants that are not getting funded which is the case for many many people um, or, or spending too much time writing grants and not actually doing so writing the grant is where you're saying this is what I want to do as opposed to spending the time doing things 
to actually generate results and findings that will help people. I think that's it. I think um, I think it's just something for us to think about as a society. How do we motivate more people to get into science? How do we get? How do we motivate the best people to get into science and keep them there, and and be able to um, make it so that people who are don who are donors who who donate to, for instance, the uh, Toronto Rehab Foundation is the charity arm of our hospital that is a found that that gets money from donors and then turns around and sends that a, a big chunk of that money to the research organization so that we can continue uh, so that we can pay for scientist salaries and in, a, in my case I get some funding from the foundation for uh, to hire a postdoc um, yeah but that's uh, how do we how do we do that how do we do that better is is the real question so that at times like this we know that the best people are there and are or and aren't just starting from scratch in in um, trying to develop solutions that we all need good have a good day